Well, good morning again. It's great to be here. Let me pray as we open God's word. Loving Father, it's remarkable to, to read in 1 Peter that your preached word is your word. You speak to us through your preached word. It brings new birth. So we thank you. It brings uh, us into a new family so that we will love one another. Thank you. It brings us to uh, grow up into salvation. So we thank you. And it brings us to taste your goodness. Thank you. It brings us to Christ, the living stone, rejected by men, but in your sight, our God, chosen and precious. It brings us to be living stones built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Your house where you live. Thank you. And it brings us to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, so that we might serve you and please you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your preached word. Lord, would your Holy Spirit work uh, this morning among us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, do keep Acts 11 open. I've got uh, the tiny print version, so it's page 536 in that Bible. I don't know how well you you know Acts, but the city of Antioch is probably the most important city you've never heard of. More than that, it's more important than maybe any city you have heard of. And even if you have heard of it, it's more important than you think. So this morning we're going to Antioch the Great. In fact, that's our first heading on the uh, the notice sheet you give when you came in. Antioch the Great. It's natural for me to compare this great city of Antioch with uh, my own great town of Morecambe. Morecambe. I love living in Morecambe. I'm a southerner, but I love living there. Morecambe has a splendid five-mile-long prom. It's absolutely beautiful. Antioch was called Antioch the Beautiful back in the day, and that's because of its impressive buildings. It was famous for its long paved boulevard and an avenue nearly three and a half kilometres long running from north to south. It was flanked by a colonnade, um, and if you're like me, you have to look up the word colonnade. It means uh, a a, a row of marching columns opposite each other, and there would have been well over 1,000 columns down this this, uh, colonnade. And it's six metres high, uh, not including the capitals, which are the fancy bits at the top of the columns. In terms of population, well, Morecambe has up to 50,000, depending on quite where you draw the line. Antioch has 500,000 people. And in terms of makeup of people, well, Morecambe is is actually quite white um, compared with where I'm from, South East London. Um, We have a woman at church who's of Indian heritage, and uh, a lady was talking to her, and she's called Pam, and and the lady said to her, oh, I've met your mum. She said that because there was another lady from the Indian subcontinent that she had met recently in Morecambe. Can you believe that? She just assumed it was Pam's mum. <laughs> extraordinary? So Morecambe's generally quite white. Um, but Antioch would have been a real cultural melting pot. Jews, yes, Persians, Chinese and Indians, actually. In terms of how people think about these places, well, I can't, I can't believe this, but Morecambe was once voted third worst town in Britain. I don't know how Otley would get on. I'm sure a lot, a lot lower down the list in terms of worst towns, but I can't believe it. But Antioch was the third city of the Roman Empire. So you had Rome, Alexandria, Antioch. And Morecambe, back in its seaside glory heyday, when people from Yorkshire would go over, over the border, 
um, and go to, to Morecambe. It was called the Naples of the North, which I think is... I love Morecambe. I think that's quite generous, actually. Uh, <laughs> when the tide's in on a really sunny day and the wind's died down, yeah, maybe, but that's, you know, once a year. Um, Antioch, though, was called the Queen of the East. You know, it was really a famous city. It was, it was a, a beautiful and loved city. So I want to say this morning, welcome to Antioch, probably the most important city you've never heard of. If you have heard of it, you didn't know it was important. In our Bible passage this morning, we're going to see the gospel preached in Antioch. And as we do that, we're going to answer some big questions about church, which is what I asked Chris if I could come and share with you, because it's uh, close to my heart. And our other elder, John Lindsay, is coming next week to think about what it means to be church. This morning we're doing church on mission. What makes a church? What is a church to do? What is the mission of the church? What's the purpose of church? Because there's a lot of confusion out there, isn't there, about that question. What should a church be doing? Should a church be doing um, social action? Uh, should it be doing soup kitchens? Serving in the community? Sorting out the city? Saving the planet? What should a church be doing? And we're in a really deprived area where we meet in Morecambe, our West End. And when we give presents to the school to give out to struggling families at Christmas, do you know what? It goes down really well. No one is offended. People are really grateful. Is that the kind of thing to be our priority? And what about when church meets? There are lots of different ways of doing church that you, you may know of from other churches you've been to. Churches where long sermons are the focus. Churches where what's called the worship time is the focus, or churches where the main thing is the Eucharist or the bread and wine, or there are churches that just don't seem to know what they're about, so you turn up and you've no idea what you're going to get. could be anything, whatever the pastor or minister has in mind for that day. What is the church's primary purpose? What on earth are we here for? What on earth are we here for? And what is the main thing to do when we meet? These are the kind of questions we find as we travel to Antioch. So here's our first point. Antioch, here's the word. This is verses 19 to 21. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now you may know that uh, Paul preaches the gospel and goes on his missionary journeys. Uh, you'll probably find at the back, I'm not sure at the back of this Bible, but a lot of Bibles you can find maps, not this one, uh, maps of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, they're not part of the original, but they can be helpful. Um, here though we find a passage, a bit of a guess, but maybe in the top five least famous passages in Acts. Here we find some other people going on a missionary journey, a preaching journey. And by preaching, I think Luke just means speaking about Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean what I'm doing now, preaching to a gathered congregation, just speaking about Jesus, including preaching, uh, what we normally think of as preaching. How do the believers get here, this really important city? Who are these believers Who uh, and who are they preaching to? Three questions. How do they get here? Who are they? And who are they preaching to? How do they get here first? Verse 19, scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. So, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. Um, and he was the first Christian to die for Christ. And that led to a raft of persecution against Christians. And on the old sheet, I think there are some verses. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1 there. It tells you about this. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the same day Stephen's killed... 
all the believers are scattered, forced to flee their church in Jerusalem. And what do they do? Well, verse 4, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, also on the sheet, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They preach the word. They talk about Jesus, the crucified Christ, the risen Messiah, the reigning king. A persecution that obviously seems so terrible, no doubt it was painful, but and it seems it's going to be a sure way of ending preaching. It just means more preaching. It's part of the plan to spread the gospel. It's not the apostles' plan, it's God's plan. So the risen and ascended Lord Jesus is directing things from heaven. It's his mission, and persecution brings more preaching. And so these brand new places, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, back in our passage, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how they got here. Next question. Who are they? Who are these preachers? Well, look, they're not the apostles. The apostles stay in Jerusalem. Who are they? Answer, we don't know. We just don't know who they are. They are nameless. They are ordinary. These guys and girls in chapter 11, we just don't know who they are. But we know one thing about them. They have been, back in Jerusalem, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Can you see that? I think again on the sheet, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So when they were part of the church in Jerusalem, that's what, they, that's what their life is about. What, what, how should I spend my time? I'm going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he's risen and ascended, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father and now reigns. This is what I want to spend my time doing, is finding out about him and learning him and about him and knowing him better. And the apostles, you may remember with great power, keep on testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, day after day. Uh, in the temple, in houses, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They fill Jerusalem with their teaching. And the new believers, that's, they're lapping it up, aren't they? They're devoted. The apostles are devoted to teaching. The new believers are devoted to listening. And now those who have been devoted to listening are now devoted to speaking. They've been devoted and now they distribute the word. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. These believers have been scattered like seeds and scattered seeds grow. They had loved the word and they love who the word is about and now they pass it on to others that message. Remember preaching is all sorts of speaking about Jesus. Luke doesn't define his terms. He uses loads of different words in Acts to talk about the spreading of the gospel, the good news, the message going out, the preaching, the speaking, and so on. So ordinary believers who are devoted to the word are the ones who come and speak it in this new place. And if you love hearing the word about Jesus, you will want other people to hear it too. You talk about what you love, don't you? So people who love Bake Off talk about Bake Off. People who love a football team love talking about their football team, especially if they're doing well. People who've got kids love talking about their kids. You talk about what you love. How much more when Jesus has loved us so much to die for us. When Jesus has commanded us to tell others. Jesus has given us what to say. We're not left, well, I don't know what to talk about. He's given us his word. And he's given us the Holy Spirit, the power to speak to others. And we can offer, we want Jesus, uh, his love to be known, don't we? We want people to know Jesus' love for themselves. Do you love Jesus? It's a challenge to me too. Do you talk about what you love? About who you love? So here are ordinary believers in Acts preaching the good news to people. And I want to show you a map that will not make the cut 
for uh, your maps, whoever makes the editing decisions about the maps to go in the back of the Bible. Oh, I've lost it, press the button again. There we go. Now, I'm, I haven't written the name, place names on, but basically the marks on the map are these places. Samaria, Azotus, Caesarea, Ephesus, uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, where we are today, Damascus, Tarsus, Galilee, Lydda and Joppa, Tyre, Ptolemy, Sidon, Tripoli, and Rome. These are places that uh, in Acts have believers already there when Paul gets there. Or there are places where it looks to me like the gospel's already got there, not through the apostles. Ordinary believers. It can't be 100%, um, but it certainly seems that in these places, believers are already there, and presumably they are doing what these guys in Antioch are doing, which is preaching the word. Ordinary believers. We don't know who took the gospel there. So we know that Acts, probably, you probably know Acts is about Peter and Paul uh, passing on Jesus' message. In the background of Acts are all these ordinary believers doing the work too. Ordinary believers. I don't know if you remember that at Pentecost, Peter quotes Joel and says, everyone will prophesy. And you go through Acts, you don't find too much of that word prophesy. It happens a few times, but not many times. What you find as you go through Acts is everybody speaking about Jesus. The apostles are the, are the sermons that are recorded, and that's the focus. But in the background, ordinary believers just speaking the gospel, prophesying. That is the new revelation, isn't it? It is that Jesus is the Christ, the one who was crucified. He is the one who's risen from the dead and he's now reigning from heaven. That's the new revelation we're passing on today. Don't need new facts. We've got it. It's new to people. It's amazing. And when we pass on the apostles' teaching, we're prophesying. All new believers like you and me are bringing the good news, can bring the good news to people like these guys in Antioch and across the whole region of the Middle East. All new believers doing this work. Such good news. They have the Holy Spirit for this, to empower them and they obey Jesus' command to do it. So we've seen how they got to Antioch, who they are, what about who they are preaching to. They got to Antioch through the persecution. They were devoted to the word, ordinary believers. Who are they preaching to? Well, first of all, it's Jews. Can you see that in verse 19? Then there's a but. In verse 20, it's Hellenists also. Bit of a debate as to who these Hellenists are. Um, but I, I think it's actually the first time in Acts that full-blown Gentiles hear the word. And you're thinking, if you know Acts, what about the Ethiopian eunuch? Do you know where the Ethiopian eunuch was going from when Philip met him? He was coming from the temple. So he had a kind of Jewish connection of some sort. What about the uh, Roman centurion, Cornelius? Yeah, sure. But he was a God-fearer. He knew Jews. He, was, he had some relationship with Judaism. It looks like in Antioch, it's the first time that full-on non-Jews hear the gospel. Isn't that thrilling? Ordinary believers, who are they? We don't know. Bring the gospel for the first time to full-blown Gentiles. I'm saying to this to, to encourage you. I feel encouraged. Look at this. Ordinary believers, like you and me, unnamed. We were we, named in, the, in, in God's wonderful book, weren't we? Well, we're not going to be, we're probably not going to make the pages of church history, you and me. Oh, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe I, but in God's book, we're there and useful for him. We can do it. Ordinary believers uh, leading the way in this big new thing. And there they are in this great melting pot of this great city, Antioch. And Barnabas' mission that we'll see in a minute 
shows us this is a big new thing. That's why this, the apostle sends him to go and find out what's going on. Just let it sink in. Ordinary believers lead the way in this big new thing, preaching to full-blown Gentiles here in Antioch, this great city. And as you let that sink in, take a look at verse 21. Look at the results. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So ordinary believers preach, and the Lord uses it to save people. Ordinary speaking about about Jesus works. As the Lord works through ordinary preaching. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, how did you become a believer? Which ordinary person or people was the Lord's hand with to help you turn to the Lord? Now back in the day here in Otley, if I've I've read Wikipedia right, uh, it might have been John Wesley. Is that right? The John, John Wesley connection? Frequent visitor to this town? I think his horse is buried here. Is that right? Yeah. But for, for you today, most likely, it, the person who preached to you is not going to be going down in, in, in the annals of church history in this life. An ordinary believer, probably. This is Jesus' work. The Lord. Probably the Lord means the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it means God the Father in Acts. But Acts, right at the beginning, tells us that Jesus, uh, this is, that Luke wrote his first book, what Jesus began to do and teach, meaning Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach. So it's very likely this, the Lord here is Jesus. It's his work to bring this salvation. His spirit empowers the preaching. Jesus' hand is with them. This is Jesus' mission and not ours. And that's another encouragement for us, isn't it? He empowers it. The Lord turns people to the Lord. And you'll, you'll see that. I won't read them, but there's three more references, I think, on your, on your handout. Uh, where we're told in Acts, it's the Lord's work. When someone turns to the Lord, it's always the Lord turning them. And here in Acts 11, loads of people are saved. At this particular point of church history, loads of people join the believers. The work of these ordinary believers is powerful because God is at work through them. Just as he was at work through the apostles in Jerusalem. The same results happen. Ordinary believers bring about this big new thing. And so Barnabas sent from Jerusalem. Here's our second point. Antioch hears the word, and that's deliberate. Second point, you can fill it in on your, uh, on your notice sheet. Point one, Antioch hears the word. Point two, Antioch hears the word. The report of this comes to uh, the ears of the church in Jerusalem, verse 22, and they send Barnabas. So they hear about it. Uh, he's not one of the twelve, but he too is one of those devoted to the apostles' teaching, um, and now he goes on their behalf to find out what's happening. This is what he finds. When he saw, came, verse 23, and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And what does he do? He exhorts them all uh, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He speaks. He preaches. He brings the word. Uh, there's a couple in uh, Doncaster called Mr. and Mrs. Me. The wife is a lawyer. and She's called Sue. You <laughs> didn't even need me to finish finish the joke. That's impressive. Sue me, the lawyer. The husband's called Rob, and he's a bank. He's a banker. Rob me, the banker. There we go. Well, do you know, um, I'll come again if you don't mind, because my church family don't laugh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, now, Barnabas. You may know means son of encouragement. 
And he certainly lives up to his name, doesn't he? He's exhorting, encouraging them by speaking and preaching to them. He teaches them. So this is the second heading is deliberate, because that's what happens. They hear the word, become believers, and guess what? They keep on hearing the word. Verse 24, Barnabas, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Here's Barnabas, filled with the Spirit. And what does he do? Speaks the word, urges them to keep going. People who are full of the Holy Spirit in Acts speak about Jesus. Are you full of the Spirit? Are you speaking about Jesus? It's an interesting thing to perhaps ponder. Barnabas speaks here to those who are already believers, isn't he? They're witnessing and prophesying and passing on the apostles' teaching, preaching, speaking about Jesus. is much more than just dropping in and preaching once and leaving people to it. Unbelievers and believers need to hear the word and keep on hearing the word. And Barnabas does both, because even as he speaks to the believers, even more people are saved. Isn't that interesting, verse 24? And a great many people added to the Lord. So he's exhorting the believers, and more people hear, somehow hear about this and want, want, want to know more and come and find out and hear the gospel in different ways, and a great many people are added to the Lord. More people saved. And then Barnabas goes to get Saul. Now Saul, interestingly, the one responsible for Stephen's death. You might think of him as the coat holder, but apparently that was the person in authority. He didn't get his hands dirty. He's the one managing the show. So he's responsible for the death of Stephen, which is how the believers got scattered and how the gospel came to Antioch. And now Paul, Saul, Paul, in God's kindness, comes to Antioch to preach the word. Because the risen Lord Jesus has met him on, on the road to Damascus and given him this job. How did the gospel get to Antioch? Because Paul persecuted Stephen. Isn't God's sovereignty and providence amazing? Here he is, brought. And he, what does he do for a whole year? In verse 26, well, it's not learning new worship songs, it's not perfecting the communion service, it's not serving soup, it's not serving the community, it's teaching people. That's really how to serve the community. That is really how to serve the community. Preaching the word. A whole year. So let me just try and sum up where I've got to so far, uh, if you're still with me. Ordinary believers have come to this brand new place. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Ordinary believers now preach the gospel, they pass it on. Uh, the Lord is with those ordinary believers, and more ordinary believers turn to the Lord. And it's the first time, remember, that it's gone to um, full-blown Gentiles as well. And, and then they are carrying on being devoted to the apostles' teaching through Barnabas and, of course, Saul, the apostle. And more people turn to the Lord, more ordinary believers. I just want to say how great these things are going on in Antioch and share them with you. And now I want to show you how these believers are described. They are described in two ways. Verse 26, church, and verse 27, Christians. Wow, knock me down with a feather. Did you know that the Pope is Catholic? Well, actually, this is really exciting, because it's the first time disciples are called Christians. And they were called Christians, followers of Christ, by people who weren't Christians. It seems to be a negative term. And the other two times in the New Testament, the word Christians is used, it seems to be a negative term too. A bit of an insult. Maybe it hints at ongoing persecution, perhaps. Here we are in 2018, in this great town of Otley, calling ourselves Christians, if you're trusting in Christ this morning, named after these believers in Antioch. Isn't that interesting? And there's more. It's the first time anywhere other than Jerusalem is called a church. Uh, It's a very ordinary word, translates the Greek word for gathering, but so far in Acts, it's been used to describe the church at Jerusalem and the Christians throughout Galilee, Judea and Samaria, the wider church in that area. 
Now, it's used to describe the believers in a brand new city, Antioch. And I think Luke wants us to see the parallels between Jerusalem and Antioch. The word is preached. A great number believe. It's the Lord's work. Barnabas encourages the church. He does that in Jerusalem. Another large number of people believe. Barnabas being sold to the church. He does that in Jerusalem. And the believers are devoted to the word of God. Can you see the parallels? Don't worry if you didn't get them all. Uh, ask me afterwards. Just get, just get the flavour of it. Luke wants us to see that a church started by ordinary believers is the same as the church in Jerusalem. The same status where the apostles were there. The eyewitnesses. The ones chosen personally by Christ. The same things are happening when ordinary believers preach the gospel. And the parallels continue. We haven't got time to look at it. In fact, we didn't, I didn't ask for it to be read earlier. But the church of Jerusalem, you may remember, was a, a loads of generosity, very much giving. And Barnabas himself was one of these guys. Um, and that giving was among the church at Jerusalem. But now the church in Antioch goes further. And you see in verse 28, there's going to be a famine. And verse 29, they determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. It's the first time a church has supported another church. I've given generously to support. Uh, it's just incredible to think that they've, they've heard the word. They've heard how Jesus tells them to love their brothers and sisters. There's going to be a famine. They've never met these guys, but they want to help them practically. It's a church shaped by the apostles' teaching. They're obeying the apostles' teaching about loving their brothers and, and seeing their identity in Christ. That means they have this deep affinity with believers they don't know. So it's worth thinking that in, in Acts, the practical care is given to believers in need. That doesn't mean we shouldn't love and care for unbelievers. Of course we should. But the priority has always been one another. That marks us out as God's people. Here is the church in Jerusalem, sorry, church in Antioch, just like the church in Jerusalem, sharing what they have and showing love to another church. And there's one more parallel with Jerusalem I want to show you as well. Just turn over to, in fact, the same page, chapter 13, verse 1. Now they were in the church Antioch. Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Do you remember Church in Antioch? I hope you got this. Started by ordinary believers. Oh, we don't know who they are, apart from they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And uh, it's a church-planting church. They send off Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. They're sent to preach the word. So a church that so you got formed by the word, just ordinary believers speaking about Jesus, shaped by the word, they start putting it, what they believe into, into action as they give to the church in Jerusalem. And they spread the word, just like the Jerusalem church. This is a church on mission. And later, Paul and Barnabas, remember Saul becomes Paul, I'm sorry if I've confused you there. Saul and Paul are the same person. Later, Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch to tell them all that, all that happened. So Antioch is their base camp. And they go back at least three times to Antioch. So Antioch's a church on mission, sending out missionaries. It's a sending church. All those places in Paul's journeys that you can read about or see on those maps at the back of your Bible, here's where it starts. Antioch. 
This church sends, prays, supports Paul, where that crucial missionary work begins. Antioch begins the work that takes the gospel to the end of the earth. It just isn't that incredible. Ordinary believers, who don't know who they are, started the church. Let me try and uh, pull things together then. We've, we've been to Antioch, the greatest city you've probably never heard of, and if you've heard of it, you didn't realise it was very great. Antioch the Great. And we've seen a church formed by the word, the teaching of the apostles, passed on by ordinary believers, founded on the word of God. We've seen it's a church devoted to the word. And they, they just love hearing it. It's Barnabas' word, and then they go and get Saul for a year. Their commitment to the teaching carries on. It's a church shaped by the word. So they are, anyway, and we see that in their generous giving. They've, they've got the gospel and they want to love their brothers and sisters. And here is a church spreading the word. That's why Antioch really is so great. Because of the great church there. So if you've got a pen, add that onto your heading please. Antioch, the great church. That's our last heading on the sheet. A beautiful church. A church of such strategic importance. The founding of this church has been called the most important moment in church planting history. Interesting. And it just comes from ordinary Christians. I take it like you and me. They were kicked out of Jerusalem. Okay, we haven't been kicked out of Jerusalem. But like me, in terms of we're not, we're not going down in the, in the annals of church history, we're not going to get mentioned in the Bible, are we? <laughs> oh, we can't. Too late. <laughs> Ordinary believers carrying on the work of the apostles. And we can do this too. You know, we're not going to send out Paul, are we, like they did. But the shape continues. The shape of church. The shape of this great church is what's to be happening in Otley and in Morecambe. Ordinary believers bring the apostles' teaching and church starts. Devoted apostles' teaching, shaped by the apostles' teaching, spreading the apostles' teaching. And don't you think it's interesting that there are no miracles recorded in Antioch. It's interesting, isn't it? Except the greatest miracle of all, of course. The Lord turning people to the Lord. We are meant to see Antioch is like Jerusalem. Ordinary believers starting a church is like the one started by the apostles. So I want to say to you this morning, here you are at Bethel in Otley. Will you be part of this now? Will you be a church formed by the word, a church devoted to the word, a church shaped by the word, a church spreading the word. And if you're not a Christian this morning, having heard the word today, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps you've heard it many times before, will you commit to Christ? You've got to do that first. Who died? So you might be forgiven your sins. That's, we haven't talked too much about it. That's the content of the apostles' teaching, isn't it? Will you turn to Christ? He died so you might be forgiven your sins. And if you do that, if you don't know Christ, I pray you do that. You, you Actually, you join his church immediately. It's not an option. You are part of his people. And that's expressed in being part of a local church. That's what the New Testament teaches. And Christians here this morning, I want to ask you to, will you devote yourself to hearing the word at your church? I know that Chris and Mike and the elders, Chris Mike, the elders, sorry, and the history of this church is built on the preaching of the word. Will you be like those ordinary believers and lap it up? Lap up the pure spiritual milk of the preaching of the word. We're looking at 1 Peter at Church by the Bay, and in just nine verses, 
we found that the preached word is the word of God and this is what it does. The preached word gives new birth, it gives life. The preached word, the permanent seed, brings us into permanent family. The preached word grows us up to salvation, so it saves us. The preached word helps us, uh, brings us to taste the Lord's goodness, so it helps us enjoy God. The preached word takes us to Christ, and the preached word brings, uh, builds us up together to be where God lives, makes us God's house. And the preached word helps us to be a holy priesthood to serve God, so it helps us please God. Let me just run through them again. It gives life, makes us family, saves us, helps us enjoy God, takes us to Christ, makes us God's house, helps us please God. I knew it was seven, I got six earlier. Seven things. In nine verses. That's what's happening when the word is preached. I find that extraordinary that God would choose a weak, ordinary man like myself, or Chris, my friend, if I may say so, weak and ordinary, just like me, committing sin like me. And God uses that, his Holy Spirit uses that to give life, family, save people, help us enjoy God, take us to Christ, make us God's house and help us please him. And can I say, I'm always surprised if and when Christians don't come and hear the word on Sundays. When something else is more important to them. Now, I'm not in my own church this morning and there are occasions of for holiday, like Chris is away, I think there are good things. But when something else is more important than hearing the preached word, if you're in your town, you should be there. Will you devote yourself to hearing the preached word? And can I say, don't leave yourself on the fringe of church life. I can think of people who've done that at Church by the Bay, who have not thrown themselves into church life, who are not, I'd say, not being shaped by the word, actually, and what it means to be God's people, the living stones being built into the spiritual house, coming back to 1 Peter. And it's possible to drift to the fringe without realising and you can tell if you've done that, maybe there's a big line between general life and church life. If you keep the two very separate, you can sometimes do that without realising. Don't leave yourself on the fringe. Christians, will you commit to the work of your church? I hope you'll see that this, what this great church is all about in Antioch, and uh, this great church here in, in, in Otley. Ordinary believers doing fantastic, life-changing, saving people as the Lord uses them to turn people to the Lord. Will you do all you can to help the work of your church? Will you help the word-centeredness of church life? Help keep the teaching top priority and be devoted to it. Commit to Sundays. Commit to praying together at tonight's prayer supper. Be there. Encourage your church family by saying, I want to pray for the word. I want to pray for our mission. I want to pray for our people preaching. And your small groups, life groups, is it? Committing to them where you think, it may not always be fun. I don't always enjoy my small group. Sometimes my, I feel like my group members are, are being a bit of a pain. They probably think the same about me. It's been recorded. Maybe if you cut that bit from the recording. <laughs> if they've, heard, they've heard me speak before, so they probably won't catch up on this. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I sometimes think, why is everyone so sleepy today? It's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't zing along the small group. But you know what? God uses it to keep us going as Christians. And God uses it to grow us as actually we preach the word to one another in that setting. Commit to your small groups. Commit to praying for this. Commit to the things you put on for people to hear the word. Be there. I, uh, Mike asked me for his encouragement earlier and I forgot to say at our children's event, some people come who don't have children to help. Uh, I can't tell you how helpful that is. I've got four kids, eight, six, four and two. Usually, until we've had Kaz, our family's worker, it's been me and my wife running things. Our four children, we just abandoned them for the event. 
while we try and run everything, to have people say, it's not for me, it's not my cup of tea, but I will be there and help, I cannot tell you how valuable that is. And how it fills my heart with joy to see an older couple who welcome people for that event. It's not for them. They can't really, they haven't really got anyone they could invite to that. They're helping. That kind of thing is what I'm talking about. It's having a, being a church shaped by the word and so loving one another and so loving the preaching of the word that even if it's not your cup of tea, the pub quiz. We have people who don't like pubs in our church. I can understand that for history reasons and certainly some pubs are really, you don't want to go there. I get all that. But isn't it great if people think it's not my cup of tea? I don't really like it, but I want to help them, the preaching of the word. Um, I haven't got anyone to invite. No one I know would dream of going into a pub. Well, okay, just come and support the event and help and be a body in the room, making it feel like something is happening and be friendly and smiley and maybe you might even be able to say hello to somebody you don't know and support someone else's guests, all that kind of stuff. You probably know all this already. Um, but that is a massive encouragement. When people, they come and help and serve something at something which is not their cup of tea. They don't really like it or it's not for them. You're needed. You're needed. And do you know what? Ask Mike or Chris, do you need my help? It's not my, they might say, no, we're okay. They might say, I know this is not your thing. We'll let you off. <laughs> they might. Or they might say, no, I'm desperate for people in the room. We have got these guests coming or we hope these guests are coming. We just need to fill the room. Please come. Will you work with your brothers and sisters here at Otley so that together you commit to the word and have your lives shaped by it and spread the word together? Don't waste your life. Don't fritter it away. Spend it as God wants you to spend it. This is how people turn to the Lord. It's how people meet Jesus, how they hear about his death, his resurrection, his reign, how they hear about forgiveness of sins and times of refreshment from the Spirit, how they hear what life is all about. It really is about life and death. I was speaking to one of our members a few months back. And they talked about growing old together in this church. And I hadn't really thought about that before too much. And I just thought that could be a glorious and painful reality. My brothers and sisters right now are the brothers and sisters that are going to be with us through the stages of life. Preparing each other to meet Jesus. Helping more people be ready to meet Jesus. Devoted to the word, formed by the word, devoted to the word, shaped by the word, spreading the word together on God's mission. And your church desperately needs more people like that, doesn't it? Our church does too here for the long haul. But whether you are here for life or move on to serve God somewhere else, you have uh, the job of keeping these commitments to your work, to the word of God here in your church or your church in the future. It's, it's your job to be devoted to it and to commit to it and pray for it and make sure the person at the front is doing their job properly. You need to make sure that your church has the word in the driving seat. It's not an original illustration to me, but I found it so helpful. I wonder if it will help you. If you just picture your church as a car, or a church perhaps, as a car. Some churches have the Bible in the boot, don't they? Under an old blanket. It's a bit of an embarrassment and it's hidden away. I take it you'll know to avoid those kind of churches. You'll probably be able to spot them straight away. Not, not a real church, surely. The Bible's not opened and people are actively against the Bible. Other churches have the Bible in the back seat, don't they? Where the Bible makes comments sometimes, it's sometimes involved in the decisions, but doesn't have any commanding say as to where the car is going. You'll probably know churches like that. And I think you'll probably know to avoid those kind of churches if you've been here at, at Bethel for a while and spot them. And again, is that a real church given what we've seen in Antioch? What's a real church? Well, it's formed by the word, devoted to the word, shaped by the word, spreading the word. So you haven't got the Bible in the driving seat if you come to is it a church. The third type of church is the church where the Bible is in the front passenger seat, where the Bible is really important. 
and the Bible guides like a map reader. The Bible speaks into decisions that are made, it's respected, it's important, it's listened to, but it is not in the driving seat. And here's the thing, those churches are much harder to spot. Because there's sermons, there's podcasts, there's small groups, there's prayer meetings, probably a desire to reach new people. But the word is not in the driving seat. They are hard to spot. Most churches have the Bible in some way on their websites. Even if if I could put it like this, the worst churches, when the Bible's in the boot. And the okay churches, where Christians love Jesus and the word is valued highly, I actually want to say watch out. Because that can lead to a wasted life, a comfortable life, a, a mediocre life. And it's dangerous. If the Bible isn't in the driving seat, well, who is? Is it the leadership team? Is it another agenda? It's dangerous. When I spoke to these students at Moorlands, which is our sending church in Lancaster, where Chris and I used to work together, I got asked by four different people how to tell. How do you tell when the word is in the driving seat? Or, in the, if it's dangerous, if it's in the front passenger seat? How do you tell? Here's uh, my answer. I'm sure you can come up with some better things. How do we know if the word is in the driving seat? Is the word opened at virtually every single meeting? Yesterday we had a um, uh, a work party, spring clean. I confess I didn't open the Bible. But we did pray and we did talk about the Bible in our prayers. So virtually every single meeting. Is Jesus talked about a lot? The word is about him. Is the Old Testament preaching about Jesus? Because Jesus says it should be. Is the teaching... Um, centred on Jesus rather than us and our felt needs. It's about his glory first and foremost. Is sin, our desperate wickedness and the judgment of hell we deserve part of things? Or is it ignored? Is the word preached consecutively, generally working through whole books? Now I know I'm just dipping into Acts today, but is, is generally speaking, the word, are you working through books in a church? Because the Bible is given to us in an order and that may, means you cover passages that no one wants to cover. Are the meeting and the work of the church about obedience to the word? Is the word shaping everything that happens? And is it a church on mission? If the word is at the heart, then the people will be desperate for people to know Jesus. Those are the kind of questions to ask of my church, of your church, and of any other church you visit or serve at in the future. There may be better questions, but you can get the point. This church in Antioch is the kind of church we want to be in Morecambe, and I take it you want to be in Otley, the kind of church to look for if ever you do move away. Wouldn't it be great to be the kind uh, together, you know, growing old together through life together for the long haul? Will you be part of helping Bethel Church Otley be a great church, like the Church of Antioch, formed by the word, devoted to the word, shaped by the word, spreading the word? You won't find in Acts. You know, soup kitchens and social actions, serving the community, sorting out the city, saving the planet. Those are not bad things. But they're not the first thing, are they? They're good things, but not the first thing. Church, where loving people means telling people about Jesus, where the main part of, the, of church meeting is, is the preaching of the word. That's how God's, what did we say from 1 Peter? Gives life. I forget my seven things. Gives life, family, saves us, helps us enjoy God, takes us to Christ, makes us God's house and helps us please God. It's what, what you do about church is far, far more important than any decision you make about your career or your home or your family. And it sometimes takes ages for people to get this. Sometimes they never do. Why not just get it now if you haven't already? But this is what life is about on earth. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. 
So if you're 22 or 32 or 42 or 52 or 62 or 72 or 82 or whatever in between, why don't you just get it now? Antioch is truly great because of the preaching of the word. Formed by the word, devoted to the word, shaped by the word, spreading the word. Will you be part of making your church like Antioch the great? Let me pray for you. Loving Father, such a brilliant passage, tucked away in the middle of Acts, perhaps one that's less familiar. No um, obvious miracles, and yet we see the greatest miracle of all, lots of people turning to you because you turned them. Your hand was with those ordinary believers who spoke about Jesus. No doubt some of that was done in, in some sort of public meeting, but presumably done in sort of one-to-one and just ordinary Christians chatting with, with unbelievers. Thank you for what we've seen, how, how, how you used ordinary believers to, to build a church just like the one at Jerusalem. How they were devoted to your word. How they continued to be devoted to your word. How they saw that as what life was about. How they committed to one another and to the work and were willing to send away people to do more gospel work. Father, I pray that would be true for here at Bethel. Lord, more uh, a, a greater, growing commitment to uh, your word and to one another. I pray it would be true for Church Brother Bay and Morecambe too. Father, help us to see this is what life is about. Help us to know that the glory of the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, who reigns at your right hand, how that shapes everything. Gives us great comfort and great hope for our own future and a great job to do right now. Thank you, Father. Amen.